The following program, Chicago's Weekend Wake-Up Call, is sponsored by the Digital Wellness Center and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of NewsWeb Radio Company or its management. Good morning. Welcome to an another, we hope, enlightening episode of Digital Wellness with Dr. Mary. I'm Dr. Mary Donahue, and today we're going to embark on a journey through the emotional terrain of finance. Uh, this was brought forward to me this week by a friend who was treated incredibly poorly at a bank. And this young man is looking to start his own business. He's worked hard already. He's 27 years old. And his needs and what he was doing was totally dismissed by his financial institution. And in fact, I think they abused him. But we'll get into that. And the reason, you know, part of it as from from the perspective of a human, but also from the social science perspective. Why did this happen? Why did this man, otherwise incredibly capable, let this happen to him? And how can other business owners miss this and and we and, and, and avoid this? Sorry. And we are bringing in someone I admire very, very, very much to help us solve these problems. Todd Smith, who runs CFO Alternative. Um, Todd is definitely aware of this situation and more importantly, the stress of running a business or being a solo entrepreneur in 2024. He ran his family-owned business for over 20 years and then he closed it and decided to branch out and form what is now known as CFO Alternative. Todd, um, I've hired Todd. He's amazing. Todd's ability to help people like me develop, implement, and refine our projects are incredibly important. He helps them manage the financial aspects of their business. For example, Todd helped my daughter set up her business in a way that she understands the basic principles of business, which I didn't understand when I started any of my businesses. He supports them using data, not opinions, not these airy-fairy beliefs about money. You know, I always remember, and I worked with Jack Canfield, but there at the time there was this big thing, Todd, called the secret, and if you visualize something, you'd get it. And I remember Jack Canfield saying, yeah, it doesn't work that way, and he was in the movie. He said you have to actually do something to get something. And so Todd is going to talk about helping us build our business with data and working with numerous organizations. I'm super pumped about today's show and and Richardson welcome I'm so glad you're back we missed you (laughs) (laughs) thank you I'm glad to be back (laughs) that's awesome Um, amazing I'm sure you're going to have some great questions for our guest Todd and we're going to welcome Todd in a minute but maybe we should give everybody the text and call in number for this week yes so please call or text us at 773-763-9278. I'm just going to repeat that one more time. Please call or text us at 773-763-9278. That's awesome. And and Todd, I'm going to kick this all off with a personal story. Um, 
I think I'm very good at being a social scientist and as a digital psychologist, I can easily manage um, ideas and create systems and do all of that stuff. But I have had to manage our money since we got married and it was never talked about. I have never really understood the stock market past um, what was it trading places and even then I needed explanations from my boyfriend at the time so you know I think that these are things that we don't do enough of at school but I also think we get really scared about money if we talk about my friend I talked about it in my newsletter this week let's call him Michael you know he got really emotional about money so Todd welcome to the show but here's my question how do our emotions influence our financial decisions? And and what can we do about it? I know I got into huge amounts of trouble, and I still get into trouble. My board tells me, pay more attention to money. <laughs> Hi, Mary. I'm so excited to be here today. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, we're happy to have you. I'm a, I'm a bit of a geek about this stuff. Numbers kind of juice <laughs> me, and I know not a lot of people do, but it's a, you kind of... Uh, kind of gets me going. So I love this kind of stuff. And small business is really my passion. I am just so enthusiastic about, you know, entrepreneurs and what they do and the impact they have on a community. So it's really, it, it fuels me to keep going. They're just um, incredible, uh, kind of incredible work ethic and are just fantastic people to work with. But full disclosure, before we get started, I'm, you know, I'm not an accountant or a financial investment advisor. So and you know, anything I mentioned, you know, always check with your advisor in your area to see what uh, works with you and what can work for you. But, you know, first of all, my goal today, Mary, is to really get people excited about, this, about being stress-free with their money management. And, you know, I was reading recently that the number one stressor in a relationship is finances. And, and guess what? That, that's the reason I really started CFO Alternative well, Inc. over 20-some-odd years ago. Yeah, I read an article by Greg Steinberg, and I think it was Money Sense Magazine that outlined 10 reasons why businesses fail. And five of those 10 reasons were finance-related. And I thought, man, how can I create something that's going to minimize those those five potential failures and, and, and help build up small businesses to be able to be more successful than they were? And one of the questions I always ask prospects when I get to meet with them is what keeps you up at night? And more often than not, it's finance related. So it's really important that, and, and when I mention small businesses, it, it really transcends to personal finances as well. And you're going to hear me talk a lot about having a plan. And that plan is kind of your guidepost, whether you're, it's your personal finances or your small business. All your decisions are going to be based and bounced off that plan. And your, your plan is really your, your best guess at this moment in time of where you hope to end up being. You know, we don't so have a crystal can I, ball. Can Sorry? I jump in here? Can I jump in sure. here and just talk about the idea of a plan? So sure. a lot of people have said to me, have a plan, do this, do that. And, and I definitely have a plan. But I've never actually had a plan about finance because as an entrepreneur, and I've been an entrepreneur since I was very, very young, so you know, yeah. almost 30 years now, 
Money changes every single minute, every single day. People book contracts, lose contracts, have contracts. And so, you know, financial people always say to me, oh, you should put money away for a rainy day. It rains every single freaking day, people. I'm an entrepreneur. How can I have... Like, I cannot just like, oh, I'm going to make money appear. And and so I want to talk about that. And I think that's where you can even hear my voice. I start to get super emotional about it. I'm like, okay, wait, there's got to be a better, better way to do this. So, you know, because you, you can get really fearful. And now when I listen to financial people, I say you're full of the BS because you've never experienced a business. You don't know what I am talking about. So how can you guide me? It's like a professor teaching entrepreneurship. They know nothing. They've never risked their house for their business. Right. And, yeah, and being an entrepreneur, there is a lot of stressors involved, and you do put a lot on, on the line. And you've got a dream, and you, you want to fulfill that dream, and you're driving, and you're such a hard worker and moving forward. And, and you know, stuff does happen, and storms do come up. But once you, when you have that guidepost, it's almost like a lighthouse. That when the storms do arrive, you can still see the light at the end of the tunnel, although it, it's stressful at the time, and it's another storm that you weren't planning on or not hoping for, but it, it does happen. You've got to try to build into your plan um, when you get off course. You know, look, if I drive from Chicago to, to Florida, as an example, and I don't have a road map, I don't know where I'm going to go. I have no idea how to get there. You know, I'm hopefully going to take a road that heads south, and I'll, if I get there, I get there. But if I have a roadmap or an idea of, okay, I have to take this route, I have to go here, and I should get there in this amount of time, it just relieves a bit of the stress that's involved with that and the fear kind of subsides. It's, it's the same as, you know, when you fly somewhere, they, they file a flight plan. and But the, the flight is off course all the time. If you don't have that plan, you can't get back on track again. So what I tell business owners, you know, there is... There is that fear. You know, if you're fearful of money, we tend to be a little bit too cautious in, in kind of our financial decisions. So what I mean by that is when, you, when an opportunity arises and we have this fear of money or a fear of what's going to be happening there, we don't really know where we're at and we may be too tentative to dive into it, that, and, and in which case it could affect our overall net worth. So, if an so in other words, if I've got a fear of, of growth or a fear of the money in my bank account or that fear, I don't want to look at my bank account because it's going to say zero. But that fear, <laughs> but an opportunity arises that could potentially elevate my overall net worth, I'm not, probably not going to jump into that because I've got that fear. So let's talk about that. How, like, let's give an example of a business um, or even a person that you've worked with. Because I know for me, it's like, okay, I know I should be doing this and I'm going to do this. Oh, but wait, I could go and do some writing or I could go talk to clients or I could design a whole new way to see the world. Let's just leave the bank account. So let's talk about that, that sense of, of fear because, you know, part of me wishes that I had a person that just put me on an allowance and I could just, you know, go do my thing. But now you have to manage it and you have to make reports to the board about, you know, COGS and all that other stuff. So let's talk about yeah. it. What are some of the emotions you've identified? 
Well, yeah, this, this, this fear is one of them. If you look at from a business standpoint, it depends on a, say, an entrepreneur's risk tolerance. Um, you know, entrepreneurs are very good at driving the top number. They, they love the sales aspect. They love the thrill of the hunt. And they drive forward. They're very good at delivering and can, can sustain that. But more often than not, Mary, I, I can't tell you the number of times when I've met with entrepreneurs, and at the end of the year, when they get their financial statements, they think, you thought I would have done better than I did. I've yeah, been working yeah. my butt off all year, and I'm still not making money. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that they just didn't develop a solid enough plan at the very beginning before getting into this. And, and maybe it's a fear of... of not wanting to know the truth and not setting up enough of a background in order to be able to sustain what you want to achieve with your goals. You know, I've, I've sat with entrepreneurs and they'll, you know, I'll say, what, you know, what is your goal? Well, we're going we're gonna to double sales next year. Okay, well, what does that mean? It's just delving down into better sets of questions to be able to say, okay, here's how we're going to achieve this. And one of the things is with entrepreneurs, they are such big dreamers, and I love that about small business owners. They've got some lofty dreams and some lofty goals. Um, it means that the role of the CFO is to play devil's advocate. We can take that dream and that lofty goal, but let's put some numbers to it. What does that mean? So I'll ask an entrepreneur, like, you want to double your sales next year. So you, let's say, for example, you're in a million dollars in sales. So you want to go to $2 million in sales. What does that mean? What does that look like? How are you going to achieve that? What plans are you going to put into place today? So if the future, I'm a big believer that the future drives the present. So if you want to double your sales, which is great, go off the goal, what do you have to do today, this week, this hour, in order to achieve that goal? If you don't have that plan in place, then all your fears and everything else just keep rising up because you just want to drive that top number, just want to go for it. But if you've got some key performance indicators in there to monitor and manage your growth properly, then it's a little, you can bounce. When when those storms do hit and when the rain does come, you can just pull out that plan and, and look at it and say, okay, here's, you know, a month ago we said we wanted to achieve this. Do we have the infrastructure in place to be able to sustain this? Do we need some outside financing to be able to achieve this? Do we have the right people in place to be able to achieve this goal? So these are all the exploratory questions that when you have a solid plan in place, it takes the, a bit of the emotion out of it. You know, I tell, I tell business owners who are getting into business together, the first thing I always say to them is, how are you going to resolve conflict when it arises? What are you going to do? The best way to, to deal with conflict is before it happens. And when the relationship is good, you get, you sit down and say, how do we, how, how are we going to best resolve when we do have, when we butt heads? Then it just it removes a lot of the emotional anger that can arise when yeah. tensions arise. And it works the same way in personal finances and relationships with your significant other. Well, ta- let's stop right there for a second. Um, I have, like, you know, a couple of people have already started um, texting in, so I, I want to jump into that. But if we go back to, um, I want to answer this and then um, the the first question, which sure. just 
um, is is kind of funny because John, he, I'm just using the name John because that's what popped into my head. He asked me. I don't use his name. Um, okay. He is a small business owner. He experiences mm-hmm. cash flow issues that threaten the survival of his company. He's grappling with tough decisions about cutting costs, renegotiating contracts, and seeking additional funding. Um, He has staff in place he's worked with for years, but he's wondering how to measure their productivity as well. So, I mean, there's a lot in there. Can we just go and and talk? Please feel free to talk to John. He knows who he is because I just told him I called you John. So, (laughs) um, Let, uh, why don't you jump into that and just say, like, you know, you, okay, he used the word threaten the survival. So clearly he's coming from a fear-based emotion. Yeah. What, what should he do? You know, well, first and foremost, cash flow is king. And a healthy company with a healthy cash flow is in a better position to be able to sustain those storms when they do arise. Um, it does, you know, that that cash flow does help reduce the stress. And, and John, you know, John, when you're listening, if you're listening right now, then, you know, you, you need to do almost, um, almost like a financial enema. Really look at your costs of, the, of your operating costs. Renegotiating contracts is, is a good step. Um, still maintaining, you know, I don't know what, what business John is in, whether he has inventory, he's got suppliers, or whether it's a service-type business, but let's assume, for example, it's a service business and he's got suppliers that he needs to um, keep in good relationship with. So communication, you know, honesty and communication. You get to your, get to your suppliers and say, here's the, here's the deal. Uh, here is what I'm faced with right now where we've got a plan in place and we're moving forward and I want to renegotiate our terms. Either extending the terms that you have to pay your supplier is one way or getting a reduction in price if possible or possibly shipping differently or even looking at if you're buying, let's say, for example, I have a client now that buys out of the U.S. We're looking right now at uh, buying and not at in Canada to see if it's cheaper for them to get it to them. So those are all things you can take. And you know what? Getting I know you opened up the show and you talked about a friend of yours had an issue at the bank. And you need to treat the banks like our best customers. Banks hate surprises. One of the worst things that they hate. They don't want to know at the end that you're having a cash flow issue or you're ready to file for bankruptcy. Be up front with them. Let them know here's the deal. But as long as you have a plan in place, they're more apt to work with you. And against you. And you also have to understand, too, banks, and I'm going to get too sidetracked here, but, but banks, when they are helpful towards an industry, and I had this when I had my other company, the custom brokerage firm, and the banks wanted to get into that industry. So they're making it very easy for us to, to get credit from them. Until so we had a new account manager, and things changed at the bank, and they wanted to not be in that industry anymore. So they made it very difficult for us to be able to get credit from them. They changed all the rules. They changed what we had to provide. It was a very stressful point in time. So we looked at changing banks at that time. Mm-hmm. That, that helped us. And then just maintaining like a healthy sales, um, what we call daily sales outstanding. You know, it should be one of your companies, uh, what it, their key performance indicators or a KPI. But the length of time it takes for your customers to pay. You know, when things are tough 
and cash flow is an issue, can you get to your customers and offer incentives to get them to pay sooner? I know this is a tough climate no. that we're in. So right I now. can answer that question. Like during COVID, Todd, our customers couldn't pay. Yeah. We shut down our yeah. business. And that cost yeah. us over $100,000. Um, we lost, due to COVID and all the shutdowns, we lost close to $300,000. Yeah. I've, you know, I've heard stories like that everywhere. It, it was such a unique time. It was a blip in our in our society that uh, unfortunately happened. I think we've, we've learned from it. Um, and hopefully we'll all come up through it and being stronger. Well, so I like... Again, go ahead. I, I think what you said was great. Like you change banks and yeah. um, I think you also have to change your emotions. Like banks actually work for you. You don't work for the bank. I right. think that's like, that's that that's at first in having a healthy relationship with money. I know my bank just totally dismissed us when we stopped right. being an almost million dollar company. And I have never forgotten that. And so, um, you know, as they say, banks don't give you credit when you need it. They give it to you when you don't need it. Um, (laughs) And but I do know that, um, I mean, we could go on and on about banks and banking. In in Michael's case, um, it was just straight up um, just just to let you know, prejudice and discrimination. And so that was another thing. Like, they perceived he was one thing because of the way he looked. And then he went to another bank that was much more friendly, understanding, worldly, global, not a small town. And the difference in how he was treated was insane. It was such a more positive experience. Um, I know Richardson has a couple questions that came to his email. I feel like we're dominating the conversation. Rich, did you want to go to those? <laughs> yes. Um, so there is a question that came in and is actually quite relatable. Um, but let me just share it. Uh, okay. A recent college graduate uh, felt overwhelmed by, a, by student loan debt and uncertain, and uncertain job prospects in a competitive market. She struggled to balance her desire for financial independence with um, re- with realities of entry level um, salaries and living expenses. So in this situation, how can this person, I don't really want to say their name, how can this person um, cope with that, with, you know, the reality of the living expenses and, and, and student loan. And this, I feel like it's very relatable to me because I, I am also in school and I, I, I understand student loans and understanding how life is expensive. Like the expenses are, everything's expensive nowadays and the, li- the living expenses are just high. So um, what advice or uh, insight can you share? Well, it's a great it's a great question, and you know, I, we're living through this right now. We have we have three kids that are still paying off. One of them has paid off their student debt. Um, two other ones are still in the process of paying it off, and it's it's been they've been out of university for a number of years now. So it is it is it's tough. It's it's not an easy scenario. Um, the cost of living is extremely expensive. Just just getting you know, housing is expensive. The cost of food is very expensive. Um, you, there are programs in place with government. Um, I know I'm not too sure about down in the States, but I, uh, I know up in Canada, 
that there are deferrals that can be done to, you know, hopefully once you've, you're done your schooling and you get into the work world and, and you have the entry-level salary, you don't really have a lot to be able to put towards it. So you can defer some of it for a period of time. But I would, I would suggest, and I've said this to our kids too, is just, you know, set up another bank account where you can put in a few dollars. I don't care if it's even, you know, five bucks a month or five bucks every pay that you get. Throw it in and put it towards that. Defer it a little bit as long as you can until your, your income has improved or you've, you've, you've got a different job that has a higher paying um, income mm-hmm. and then start putting more towards that. And again, you're going to, I mean, it's not like a broken record, but you need to have a plan. You know, look at look at your budget. You know, look at what is your income, what are your needs, what are your wants. You know, do I? And again, you come down and, and do that financial enema, like I suggested to John with his business. Um, do it personally as well. Like, do I? Do I need to go to Starbucks every morning for that coffee, or can I go to Dunkin' Donuts and get something? Or can I can I make my own coffee at home? and save those pennies. I mean, our society today, Richardson, is, is and I, I spoke to this with my daughter in university a few years ago, um, to society today, we're nickel and dime to death, and social media plays a big part in that. Um, go on there and say, oh, it's only a buck ninety-nine for this or two ninety-nine for that. Oh, that's pretty good. Or credit cards are attached to it. It's so easy to, to buy it, and all of a sudden, at the end of the month, we look at, man, I got more month than I do money. Yeah. Like, where is it all gone? <laughs> so the best the best suggestion is you know, start developing the habits at an early age to put aside some money to get that student debt uh, paid off sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Again, so, it just boils down mm-hmm. to having some kind of a plan. Okay. So I, I like I like that. Um, and one question that I do have um, in following up is. Um, Let's say you do the you do develop a plan, right? And um, you look at your income and you look at what you can do. What about the social aspect? What if you can't do any of the social aspect? I know that's also very important to be able to not only work, 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 and feel like you can't do anything. So, in that situation, what can um, they what can they do um, to fulfill both? aspects and both needs, I guess. Sure. That's a, another great question. You know, it's, uh, I go back to something that my grandfather taught me years ago, and he said, spend less than you make. Easier said than done in this, in this economy. I, I get that. Um, but living, living within your means, not trying to keep up with the Joneses or what your neighbors have, mm-hmm. um, Still, still keeping with that plan. I know, you know, we can't just work, work. Some, some people can do it. You know, one of our daughters is able to, she's a saver, and she will sacrifice some of her social uh, life in order to be able to save for her future, which is great. That works for her. Uh, others are more social, and they want to go out, and they want to spend time with friends and enjoy life. And, you know, a few years ago, I had a, had a client that was, two of them were nurses, and they always thought that they were going to die young. So they decided that they were just going to spend all their money and just live for today. And the unfortunate part of the story is they lived longer, and all of a sudden they were in a position where they needed more money. So I guess in a roundabout way to answer that question is you still need to be able to live and still be able to have some fun. 
be able to get up and go to work. Yeah. Just maybe look at what it is, you know, in order to have that fun of that social time, do I need to travel to Monaco? Do I need to go to Europe or something like that? Can I just, can I do a staycation? Can I just go away for a weekend? Can I just hang out with friends at home? You know, years ago, my wife and I were married and we had our, our mortgage and kids and debt and all kinds of stuff. We're, we're a couple of foodies. We love to go out for dinner. We love the restaurant life. It was just, it was social. It was fun. It was a date night. We didn't have the money for it. We just couldn't do it. And there was a time when I was just throwing it on a credit card and I'll worry about paying it later. And then, you know, next month when Aunt Visa and Uncle MasterCard show up, it's like, oh, shoot, I wasn't <laughs> expecting you. <laughs> it's like, oh, boy, did we need to spend that $150 on that dinner? What we decided to do... I just started taking some, you know, reading some recipe books, figuring out what wines go with certain foods, how can I cook this better. We started doing our date nights at home. And that became a bit of our social circle. And then we had some neighbors that would come over and each of us would, you know, one week we'd go to our place and we'd cook a meal for them and we'd, we'd pair some nice wines. And then the next week we'd go to their place and they'd just cook a meal. So that became a bit of our social circle at a time when our money was kind of lean. But we still had some fun doing it. We still got to go out. We still got to do our date night. We had great conversation and great food. Some of it was burnt sometimes while I was learning, but it ended up being good eventually. And we still do that to, to this day. It's just a fun right. way of doing it. So here's... I mean, that's, that's just, sorry, go ahead, Mary. Well, it's funny you said that because I just got um, a text from, I'll call him Mike, Um he is what you just said. Like he said, okay, I'm struggling with the pressure to keep up with my peers and their lifestyle and their appearances. And last month I did overspend on luxury items and saw that aunt and uncle. <laughs> That's funny. He used that. Um, and really, really wants to fit in. And he says, I don't know if I care on of the savings and the long-term goals. It's really important for me to fit in because I've always felt like an outsider. So this is interesting because um, it, it, it starts to bring the link between emotion, self-worth, and money. I know a friend who only buys designer stuff. As a matter of fact, she was just in New York and bought... Like things from Chanel and Dolce and Gabbana and, and all of these like amazing stores that, mm-hmm. that but that's a lot of money to spend it and but I think it comes from she's lost her mom recently all of these kinds of things so how do you um, given your um, position and you it sounds like you've experienced budgeting before so that's awesome oh, yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give to to young Mike? You know what? You, you need to, you know, look at what your income is, and we all have needs and we all have wants, and you need to just prioritize those things. If if the social aspect and, and you know doing nice things to um, with your friends and associates and things like that is important to you, but if you only have so much money, you, you you've got to look at, you know, if I've got. X coming in, but I, you know, I've got to pay for housing, I've got to pay for utilities, I've got to pay for groceries, you know, I've got transportation, whether it's a car or public transit or whatever. Those are your, those are the needs, those are you have to have. And aside from that, you've got your, your wants. You know, I'd, I'd love to travel. 
I would love to be able to go for dinner once a week. I'd love to be able to, you know, buy a new car, whatever. Those are, those are the ones. And, and I know some, some are more aggressive. Some are, are loftier than others. But just start small. You know, set aside whatever amount of money it is that you've got left over at the end of the day. And hopefully there's a bit there. And just use it as your mad money. Don't plan for it. Like, just don't have it allocated to anything other than spontaneity. You know, I've got an extra hundred bucks. You know what? I'm going to go buy that, you know, hundred dollar pair of jeans that I always wanted or, you know, a $50 shirt and a $50 pair of pants or going out for dinner or something like that. Keep something aside that it still allows for a little bit of room of flexibility and some spontaneity as well. And it's not so rigid. Be more rigid with the necessities that have to happen in order for you to live. You can be a little more spontaneous with some of the wants that you that you want to have in your life, just to make life a little bit more enjoyable. So, so whatever that amount is, whatever that amount is, it doesn't really matter. Um, but create some kind of a slush fund or a mad money fund that you can just do whatever the heck you want with it mm-hmm. without feeling guilty. <laughs> <laughs> And I like that. It's, I love that you said, like, spending without feeling guilty. I do have a question in mind, and I, I don't want to keep hitting on the, the head of that, um, the nail. But uh, let's say there is a family that lives from paycheck to paycheck, and just their expenses are just as much as their income. Um, yeah. And they're just going through the the rough of it. Um, and just the, the norms of not... Um, being able to uh, go out and stuff, but they are able to just pay their bills and that's it. In that in this in that situation, what would they have to do? What would this family have to do? It's, again, you need to look at that financial enema. What are these expenses? Are they are they necessary? And I know it, it's tough right now. I mean, you know, living in a in a city, I mean, just the cost of living, just getting my, our daughter just, just purchased a home last week. She's actually just moving in today. And I looked at the prices, the homes and it's, it's staggering. She's going to be living, you know, paycheck to paycheck for the next little while. But that, that was what worked for her. I know it's, it's, it it does create that level of stress, but you just have to kind of take a a bird's eye view at it and look at, okay, why are we doing this right now? If, if we're short or we, we're just making ends meet, we're just living paycheck to paycheck, is there a way of carving out some savings somewhere along the way? Do we, do we need to, to provide or have Christmas gifts this year? Um, do we, you know, have to, you know, look at your grocery bill. Are you buying premium products or can you skimp mm-hmm. a little bit and get some no-name type products? Just for even just a few extra dollars help yeah. you know start start small i mean don't try to you know what's the best way to eat an elephant it's one bite at a time don't try to take it in all at once mm-hmm. do the small little yeah, steps and develop the habits that get you into that groove of saying okay carving it out and when you do have that that plan in place even though you're living paycheck to paycheck you've got a couple extra dollars but it's a dollar or two put it aside and use that for you know some growth down the road I know it's and, and even you know to get even deeper. This is I mean, there's a whole. This is probably a topic for a whole other show itself. Is that you know look at you know do you need to change jobs? Do you need to change where you're living? Do you need to change provinces? 
And those are deeper dive questions and are, are harder ones. But when you look at, you know, am I, am I living beyond my needs? And that, is that why I am living paycheck to paycheck? So just stripping it down, have that financial enema, what can I carve out on a, on a regular basis and even just save a couple bucks and then go from there. So, Todd, you brought up something interesting, and so did Richardson, is that family dynamic. Like, I always see it works well when um, two people have similar financial goals. Like, there's a, a, you know, I I really admire Steve Harvey. He's such a straight shooter. And I saw him give this speech that said, um, you know, before you before you get together with someone, talk to them. Like, don't just fall in love. Ask them about their money patterns. Ask them about savings. Ask them about their intentions of working and things like that. But a lot of us, i.e. me, never even think of asking that question. Um, now, we've managed, but that was quite some time ago that we got together. I mean, that was university. So um, how can people change that up? Because that, to me, sounds like you have to have agreement on, like, the emotional aspect of what's important to you and what's important to them. Like, in my case, what's important to me might not be the same as what's important to my husband. Exactly. Yeah, and you know what, Mary, that's a great, that's a great question because my, my wife and I went through exactly the same thing. We met in high school, and when we were dating, and once we got to that point when we decided we were going to get married, we had that conversation of what kind of lifestyle do we want? Where do we want to live? What does our house look like? How many kids do we want? Where do we want them to go to school? Uh, what kind of car? Just all, like, we were just dreaming. We were just thinking out loud on, on what we want, and, and it, it made us know at that point, yeah, we were right for each other because our our dreams, aspirations, and goals were extremely similar. We had a, a general idea at that time, and again, it's our best guess at that moment in time, um, and we, stro- we, we strive every day to be able to achieve that. Now, that being said, there's a lot of people that get in relationships where they have, and again, it goes back, and I had a conversation last weekend with our kids around the dinner table without cell phones. There was no cell phone involved. Yeah. Good, <laughs> good, good, good. We were... <laughs> we were just chatting, and I said to them, what does money management mean to you? And the conversation just it, it went on for a while, and the bottom line just came down to that we weren't taught in school how to deal with money or how to, how to balance a bank book or, you know, what is a mortgage? What does investing mean? What is amortization? None of that. So is it any wonder that when we get into relationships, we don't know enough? It's no fault of our own. We just don't know enough to be able to have that conversation before we get into that relationship. So then, you know, a few years down the road, you're making these decisions and you get a financial strife, the tensions arise, you don't know how to deal with it with your partner, and then the, the stress just increases and increases until it explodes. You know, hopefully your relationship is strong enough that you can have that conversation, sit down and say, well, you know, where have we been? Where are we at? And where do we need to go from here? Mm-hmm. And and do we do we need to get in somebody who asks for some advice or some help? Do we need a coach? Can can someone come in and give us advice on where we are at? And just having that open communication. 
And again, if, I mean, if you've been down that road and you've already hit that, that emotional stress of finances, you know, this is, this is where, and again, it, it might be a conversation for a whole other show, but it's, it's get some help to be able to have a third party to sit in with you to work through some of the challenges that you might be going through in, in finances. So what are, what are some of these, what is the signal? What's the key indicator of financial stability and success? Like what is the end result of this plan? Mm -hmm. Uh, Good question. Um, (laughs) Great question. It's a great question. (laughs) That's where I get the big bucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, what is the big picture? I mean, it gives you some peace of mind. It, it reduces stress. Um, you know, having you know, try to shoot for um, maybe three months of savings. You know, set aside in the event that you do lose a job. You know, start to implement uh, an, an investment strategy. Uh, start small again. Don't try to eat that elephant all at once. Let's do some small things. You know, I, I mentioned to our kids back when they were like seventeen or eighteen. You know, start an investment strategy. Um, invest in something and, and put five bucks aside if you can from every paycheck and start doing that. And spending spending less than you make. And if you're living beyond your means, then you're going to have some financial stress. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, you, you really need these certain things that you've been accustomed to? Or can we just delay them until our financial position is a little better? But having that, having those in, in place, um, and then having that plan, the plan does the talking. So it's not me pointing to you because you bought that Gucci bag, or you pointing to me because I went and bought that new snowmobile that I shouldn't have bought and couldn't afford. It's the, the plan does the talking. You know, we set this plan out. We have X number of dollars. Here's where we were at. Here's where we're at right now. And we said this is where we want to be. But unfortunately, we made these financial decisions like a Gucci bag and a new snowmobile that have set us back now, which is fine. I mean, we're all human. We make mistakes. We do things like, like this. Um, we want to live. We want to have some fun. But it shouldn't debilitate us. But we look at, okay, we said we wanted to be here by this certain point in time. We just made these decisions to buy those things that we didn't really need, but we wanted badly. But now we're going to have to look at our plan and extend it out. So we're not going to be able to achieve that target. We're going to have to extend it out by another six months or a year because we made that decision to buy those things that we didn't need. Mm-hmm. So I see. For every action. Is, yeah. Go ahead, sorry. For every action, there's a reaction. Exactly. And I love that um, when you have that plan, you're able to see the consequences or how long it's going to take for you to make up that one purchase. As you said, like exactly. it could be, you could be set back six months for one purchase. And um, I feel like that can really put you in a really... Um, uh, dedicated mindset like oh shoot if it means if I buy this how long is it going to take for me to pay it off or how long is it going right. to yeah exactly. so I love that that's that's amazing so and, you know, Todd, the other tips, uh, yeah, sorry go ahead go ahead go ahead with another tip because I was going to say like what are 
critical financial habits, no matter what your age, that you, yep. that in your opinion, we need to start doing to create sustainable wealth accumulation? Absolutely. And I look at some of the, the setbacks that we kind of have occasionally um, and how do we recover from those. And I think yeah. the, one, one of the aspects would be have plastic surgery. And what I mean by that is cut up your credit card. Credit card. Mm. Darn, I was like, okay, uh. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get rid of these three <laughs> You know, I can't tell you the number of times that I've met with people and their credit card balances are through the roof. It's crazy, and they're spending, you know, 29% interest. Paying. You know, they, they use their credit card. Oh, this is on sale. I'm going to buy it. And it's free money. Well, no, it's not free money. The banks are giving you money in hopes that you're going to pay it off in time. And if not, we're going to charge you 29%. So that item that you just purchased that you thought was on sale, if you don't pay it off on your credit card at the end of the month, you're now adding 29% to the price of that product that you just bought that was on sale. Yeah. So those those are some of the things, you know, you have to look at. Um, you know, and again, making your list of needs and wants. And then most importantly... Humble enough to ask for help, and, and some of the things that I look at: uh, critical financial habits. Again, I'm harping on this. Have a plan. Have an idea of where you want to be, and then backtrack to today and ask yourself: well, What do I need to do today to move the needle forward to get me closer to my goal? Because the future drives the present. And pay yourself first is another strategy. Um, I don't think, I mean, what I mean by that is live your lifestyle on 90% of what you take home. In other words, mm-hmm. let's say your income is 40000 a year. Structure your life around your income being $36,000 a year, and the remaining 4000 invest in, in something else that's going to make you money down the road. So you're spending less than you make, and you've got a little bit of something that you're not counting on because you're living on $36,000 or 90% of your income. So the rest you can put aside and forget about. And you can do, you know, get, get a financial advisor, have them help you invest it, whether it be in a stock market or other kinds of investments that you want to make to generate some money for you. Then it's not that big of an impact. Um, yeah, be, be careful the credit card trap. Do your utmost to pay them off by the, by the due date. Um, you also got to realize the banks are designed to keep us in perpetual debt. So yeah. I, I hear this all the time. You know, people have overextended. They've got uh, loans. They've got credit card payments. Then they're stressed out to the max. They finally get in to see the bank, and the bank says, hey, let's develop a consolidation loan. Let's put everything under one payment. We'll reduce your payment. Interest rate's a lot lower, and it sounds Perfect. Awesome. It's great. It reduces the stress a bit. Then the bank says, you know, because you've got a consolidation loan with us, it also comes with a credit card. Yeah. So why do they give you the credit card? Well, they know statistically within 16 months, you're going to have that credit card maxed out again. So they want to keep you in that perpetual debt. So you've got to, you've got to, you've got to know the game and you've got to be very careful so that's why I say have plastic surgery. You get a credit card that doesn't have any monthly fees, something that doesn't have all the bells and whistles to it that you're never going to use anyway, and keep it at a low, a low amount of credit. 
And my rule of thumb has always been, and I still do this today, I don't have a credit card that's, you know, an $80,000 limit or whatever. It's a small amount. So that way, if, if I've maxed it out and stuff hits the fan and I can't pay for it, at least I know it's a small amount that I'll be able to pay off pretty quickly. So that's another kind of tip to kind of help you get through things. And again, again, like I said, ask for help and speak to a financial advisor in the area and tell them what your goals are and ask what you need to do to achieve them. So and here's don't, an don't try to live up, don't don't try to live up to the Joneses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now here's interesting. Um, I just got an email from a woman I'll call Maria, and she says okay. I'm about ready to enjoy my golden years. And then she put a smiley face, is Todd. <laughs> but she's grappling with guilt and anxiety about leaving a financial burden for her children. She wants, like, she's so obsessed. She, like, her note goes on, but the bottom line is she wants to leave some sort of legacy, but it's if she mm-hmm. does, it will sacrifice her own quality of life. What would you say to her? Mary, that is that is that's an interesting spot to be in. I think you need to look at maybe sit down with her with her kids and, and see what their expectations are. Are they expecting this huge windfall once once Mary's gone? Maybe they're not. Maybe maybe their her kids want her to live her life and just enjoy what time she has left in her golden years. Maybe they want her to yeah. travel. That and you know, that, Again, open communication. I know it's, it's, it's tough sometimes to have those tough conversations around money with family, but I think it's important. Start small to see what their expectations are. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, Mary, it's, it's her life. It's her money. She can do with it whatever she wants. If she wants to sacrifice some of her enjoyment in her golden years to be able to leave something for her kids, then great. Do that. Um, if she wants to explore countries or, you know, buy fancy things because she sacrificed for so many years, then do it. Go for it. Um, you know, I'm not, not suggesting she goes into massive debt so that now her kids are left with everything off or something. But, you know, have that conversation. What are your expectations when I'm gone? Are you expecting this huge windfall? You know, do we have enough to be able to do that? That would be the best thing I can say. And I, you know what? I... When Mary says that, I remember a conversation I had with my dad when he was in his, oh gosh, in his 70s or 80s, and he says, whoever said these are the golden years can kiss my butt. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I go back to those nurses of yours. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Did they have the right idea or not? At the end of the day for Mary, it, it's her money. Um, you know, if, if she really wants her kids to have something, maybe can she set it again? I don't know what her financial position is. Um, is there an amount of money that she can give to her kids now and say to them, here's, here's X number of dollars. And so you can see what they're going to do with it and see their enjoyment and have them thank you for it. And when you're, when you pass and, and things are just transferred, they don't have the opportunity to say thank you. Or you don't have the opportunity to see what they've done with those those funds. So maybe if she's in a position 
you can allocate some funds to her kids or grandkids if she has any. You say, hey, I want you to have this. Go have some fun and, you know, you can see the smile on their face and hopefully they do some good things with it. And the rest, Mary, just do what you want to do with it. I totally agree. I don't, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in spending every last cent you have before you die. Like, enjoy it. You don't need to leave it to anyone. Give them some money while they're young, like in their early 20s. Um, a friend of mine said, yeah, we'll give our kids all money when they graduate from university and then we're out. It's over to you. You figure out how to manage it. You figure out how to, you know, and, and maybe the kids should listen to you and have a plan and, and do all of this stuff. Um, and now, before we close, what are we have about two minutes left. What are your sure. final thoughts here, Todd Richardson? Anything? I hope Todd has so many insights. You can go yeah, ahead, Todd. <laughs> Sorry, Richardson. I, I think what I want people to you know walk away from is that there is hope. Um, you know, have the tough conversations with your with yourself. Look yourself in the mirror, and this, you'll get through this. And remember that the valleys is where growth happens. Anybody can ride a wave. You know, the true, I believe, the true, uh, true success happens when you're in the valleys and things are tough. And that's where you learn. And ask for help and reach out. Uh, three things really, you know, pay yourself first, spend less than you make, and develop a plan and stick to it as best you can. And have open conversation with your significant other. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> pay yourself first, develop a plan, and have conversations. Yeah. Have open conversation. Have a tough conversation. Once you have them and the floodgates are open, they become easier. And don't when when you do have that plan in place or the budget in place, don't shelf it. And I've been with companies where they develop these great strategic plans, and it goes on the shelf, and they never look at it again. Yeah, take yeah. it out, <laughs> review it, look at it. May, initially, maybe do it monthly until you get in the habit, and then you maybe do it quarterly or every six months. Fantastic! That's what we will do. So thank you, everyone. I hear our music. It's taking us off. Todd, you've been amazing. We didn't even take a break today. Everyone, we wish you a wonderful week. And reach out to Todd Smith on CFO Alternative on LinkedIn if you need him. Be well, everyone. Take good care. Thanks, Richardson. Thanks, Mary. You as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.